welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. God is good. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to find the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9, we've been in a series called Against All Odds. We've been walking verse by verse through the book of Nehemiah, and today we find ourselves in chapter 9, beginning in verse 16. After 70 years of captivity, there's been a small remnant of Jewish folks that have made their way back to Jerusalem. The city that was once devastated and demolished by the Babylonians is now begun to be rebuilt. They're experiencing renewal and revival amongst the remnant of people. The temple has now been rebuilt. The walls have been restored and the gates have been rehung. And there's great excitement happening in the life of the Jewish people at this time. There's been great accomplishments by Zerubbabel, by Ezra, and by Nehemiah. And as a result of this great accomplishment, God just leads them to a place of worship and a place of celebration. You remember they said to Ezra, bring the book. And then they began for hours every day. For about six hours every day, they found themselves in a place of prayer, confession, and worship. And Ezra encourages them to continue to find themselves in a place of prayer. Last week, we rehearsed the very first part of chapter nine, where there was a lot of praise going on. They began to thank the Lord for his presence. They began to thank the Lord for his provision. And we preached a message called, let's just praise the Lord. And it was almost like camp meeting style preaching, man, all good. But you know what comes after that? I mean, we had a, we had a pep rally, if you will, of praise last week. Today, we're going to find that the people of God find themselves in willful disobedience. So if this is your first time here, it ain't always this hard. But this is a tough sermon, and it's tough scripture, but it's still scripture, and we believe it from cover to cover. Amen? So here's what has happened. They've begun to remember in the first part of chapter 9 all the miracles that God did for them. They remembered the history of the previous generation. And today they're going to remember the hardness of the previous generation. And here's what they do. They go back and they evaluate the sins of the generations that are gone by. You know, one of the greatest ways to learn and avoid disappointment and difficulty in your own life is to learn from those that have made bad decisions and don't go down the same road that they did. That's called wisdom, learning from somebody else's mistakes. Unfortunately, many of us have to run into it ourselves before we truly learn. But they're gonna find themselves in a place of confession about the things that had happened in previous generations. And we're gonna deal with this willful disobedience. But here's what they're going to discover. That in the midst of Willful disobedience in the midst of rebellion, there is manifold mercy. And I want to suggest to you this morning that you keep your Bibles open, stay with us as we walk through this text, 
And I want the Lord to reveal to you that he is full of manifold mercy. Let's stand together and begin to read in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 16. Now, we'll skip around just a little bit, but keep your Bibles open. So after this celebration that has happened in the first few verses, they begin to talk about how their fathers responded. And look at verse 16. But they and our fathers dealt proudly, hardened their necks, hearkened not to thy commandments, and refused to obey. Neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them. They forgot all the miracles you did, and they just decided to live in disobedience. Hardened their necks, and in their rebellion, they appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and forsook them not. Yea, when they made them a molten calf, and said, This is the God that brought thee up out of Egypt, and had wrought great provocations. Yet thou in thy manifold mercy forsook them not in the wilderness. And the pillar of cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night, to show them light and the way wherein they should go. Thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them, withheld not thy manna from their mouth, and gave them water for their thirst. Listen to how good God was to them in the wilderness. Yea, 40 years did thou sustain them in the wilderness, so that they lacked what? Nothing. Watch this. Their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swelled not. If you was a size four when you went into the wilderness... 40 years later, you were still a size four, amen? And your clothes were still the same. You say, preacher, you really believe that? That's what it says. So if that's what it says, I just believe it, amen? You say, preacher, you believe all of that? Absolutely, every word. I don't have time to tell you my story about that, but yes, I believe it all. Verse 22, moreover, thou gavest them kingdoms and nations and didst divide them into corners. So they possessed the land of Sihon, the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. Look at verse 26. So you did all, you did all of this for them. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee. Cast the law behind their backs, slew the prophets which testified against them to turn them to thee, and they wrought great provocations. Therefore thou delivered them into the hand of their enemies who vexed them, and in the time of their trouble, when they cried unto thee, thou heard them from heaven, according to thy manifold mercies, and saved them out of the hand of their enemies. He said, even though they rebelled, you saved them because of your mercy. So how would they respond? Verse 28. But after they had rest, they did evil again before thee. Therefore left thou them in the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried unto thee, thou heard them from heaven. And many times did thou deliver them according to thy mercy. Do you see this pattern? Evil, redemption, evil, redemption, evil, mercy. Look at verse 30. Yet many years did thou forbear them and testified against them by the spirit and thy prophets. Yet would they not give ear. Therefore gavest thou them into the hand of the people in the lands. Nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, Thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them, for thou art a gracious and merciful God. Look at verse 33. Howbeit, 
Thou art just in all that is brought upon us. For thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. Lord Jesus, I pray as we walk through this text, you would speak through your word to your people. And God, I pray that at invitation time, there'd be conviction and you'd put your finger right on what it is that we need to deal with today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This generation is going to look back at the past generation and remember how they found themselves in willful disobedience to the commands of God. And one of the things that we're often good at as Baptists is we can take a good inventory of somebody else and we can tell you where they have transgressed the commandments of God. It's a spiritual gift that we have as Baptists. But the truth is today, what we must do is take a self-inventory. Let's look inward and see where it is that we might be missing and find ourselves in a place of disobedience to the command of God and pray that God would put his finger right on whatever it is in your life that needs to be dealt with. And as we walk through this passage, here's what a couple of things we're going to notice about these people. They didn't try to sugarcoat their waywardness. They just put it out there. They didn't try to redefine their sin in order to justify their rebellion. They didn't try to blame somebody else. They simply were just going to confess their sin and call on the manifold mercy of God to minister to them. So if you're taking notes, number one, I see the rebellion. They rebelled against the mandates of God. They rebelled against the mandates of God. If you've got your Bible handy there, I think we've got it on the screen, verse 13. They acknowledged in verse 13 that God gave them some judgments. God gave them some laws. God gave them good statutes and some commandments. And they said, Lord, we know that you have given us some rules. We know you have given us some commandments that we are to live by. And although they absolutely knew the rule that they were supposed to live by, they see the rule they're supposed to live by. They still choose to live in willful disobedience. The speed limit says 45. And what do you do? Well, they'll give you 10. Oh, they don't, I don't think they have to. Willful disobedience, right? Now, y'all looking at me real spiritual, but there's some highway patrolmen and some policemen in here that probably know some of y'all on a first-name basis. <laughs> and it's probably from more than just speed. But I digress. <laughs> I better get back to my notes. Here's what I'm saying. They knew the rules. They knew the commandments. And they said, we're not following them. We just ain't going to do it. They're like a lot of us. Now we look spiritual on a Sunday morning, but the truth is there are times you will just determine that you are going to live in willful disobedience. You know you shouldn't be surfing some of the sites you're surfing, but you do it anyway. You know you shouldn't be talking to that guy at the office that listens to you because my husband don't listen to me. He listens to me. You know you shouldn't be talking to him. 
but you make a conscious decision too. You know you shouldn't have physical relations outside of the bonds of marriage, but you do. You know you shouldn't live together outside of the bonds of marriage, but you do. Why? Because there are times in our lives that we just simply live in willful disobedience. Boy, that's hard, ain't it? If you're a visitor today, it's a tough one, man. We know we should gather together on the Lord's day. We've been commanded to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And the culture says, if you'll go do all this stuff, it'll make you happy. And we forsake this and live in willful disobedience. And that's exactly where the people of God found themselves, having known the commandments of God and just saying, we're not following them. There's a couple of ways they did it. Number one, they rebelled against their leaders. Now Moses and Aaron had been appointed as leaders of the children of Israel. Moses had led them out of Egyptian bondage across the Red Sea, and they found themselves in the wilderness for these 40 years. And we see God provided for them all of those 40 years. And we know where they're headed. They're headed to the promised land. And before they're going to go into the promised land, Moses gets a group of 12 people together. He's got 12 spies, 12 men. He says, all right, here's what you're going to do. Go over into that land Check it out. Come back and let us know if you think we can overtake them. Well, that committee of 12 comes back and 10 of them said, ain't no way we can go over there. There ain't no way. There's giants over there in that land and they will squash us like grasshoppers. We're going to be like little bitty grasshoppers in their sight and they will wear us out. That was the report of 10 of them. But there was a report of two of them. One of them named Caleb, who was 85 years old at the time. And Joshua, Caleb said, Bring them on, man. Caleb said, we will wear them out. We are, we, you tell them to bring, we are going in there and we're going to march right in there and take names while we do it. Y'all think that's what, y'all think that's what he said? Well, it's close. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30. Watch this. And Caleb stilled the people from before Moses and said, let us go at once and possess it for we're well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And the people listened to the voice of the naysayers. But I want you to notice in Numbers chapter 14, what happens all the congregation lifted up their voice. This is the people Nehemiah is talking about. And they cried and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel did what? Murmured against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, would to God that we had died in the land of Egypt or would God have a, had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be prey? Were it not better for us to just return to Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return to Egypt. They go to their leaders and they say, here's what, here's what we think you are. We think you're crazy. We don't think you're God's man. We think you're telling us to go forward into the land of promise and, and we think you've lost your mind. Listen to the 10 people that said there's no way. 
I hear Caleb and Joshua over there saying that they want to go, but, but I'm just here to tell you, you've lost your mind. And as a matter of fact, I wish we could just go back to Egypt. I wish we could just go all the way. Do you hear what they're saying? They're saying that instead of going forward into the promised land, they would rather go back into slavery in Egypt. That boggles my mind. And here's what they said. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get us a captain. We're going to get us a leader that'll lead us back to Egypt. Let me tell you something. You don't need a leader to go backwards. A leader will never lead you backwards. Amen. They said they wanted a captain to take them back to Egypt. Listen, if they, they just keep doing what they're doing, they're going to find themselves back there. Amen. But listen, the price of going backwards is always greater than the price of moving forward. Is it different? Sometimes, yes. Is it difficult? Sometimes, yes. But moving forward is what they were to do because they had rebelled against their leaders, but then they rebelled against their Lord. Moses has gone up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. They say, we don't know whether he's coming back or not. So we're ready to worship. And they go to Aaron and they say, we, uh, um, we need to have some worship here. So how about let's get all the golden earrings and all the gold and let's, let's fashion it into a, uh, into a golden calf and we'll bow down and worship that thing. And they began to bow down and worship a golden calf. And they said, this is the God that brought us up out of Egypt. You say, these people are crazy. How could they find themselves in a situation like that? After all of the goodness that God had given to them, how could they possibly bow down and worship something else? There's no way that could ever happen today. Oh, we bow down and worship a lot of things. They might not look like a golden calf. But they may make a ball out of the skin of one of those calves. And we find ourselves doing what? Boy, howdy. Now look, there ain't a bigger sports fan in here than the guy standing up here behind this pulpit. There ain't a big, but, but listen, we lose our minds sometimes. Can I just say this? I didn't give them this in the first service, but maybe God just wanted me to say it to you. If you're a Clemson Tiger, or you're a South Carolina Gamecock, or you're an Alabama Crimson Tide, or you're a Tennessee volunteer. Or we hear them from the FSU people again now. <laughs> you will convince nobody of how godly you are by acting a fool on social media. I'm going to tell you this at the beginning of the year. And the church said, oh me. That ain't in my notes, but it's good. We, we in this culture, we look at them that bow down to that golden idol. I wonder if they could see some of the things that we worship, what they would think about us. So before we give them a hard time, let's evaluate some of the golden calves that might exist in our own lives. Man, they rebelled against the mandates of God. Secondly, they received the message from God. All right, so, so, so they've been willfully disobedient. 
They knew the message. They knew the commandments. And they said, we're going to do what we want to do. And so God's going to discipline his people. Thank God we have a God that disciplines his children. Amen. And he is going to send them a message. Any of you have a father that knew how to send a message? I was about seven, maybe eight years old. Playing T-ball. I was ultra competitive at everything I did, but I'm playing T-ball, okay? And this is back when in T-ball, you kept scoring, you got outs and all that good stuff. And if you made out, you went and sat down on the bench, right? Now we just, just let everybody run. It's the craziest thing in the world. Some of y'all looking at me like you're crazy. Y'all the problem, man. Your kid made an out. He needs to sit down. (laughs) It's pretty simple. All right. I'm standing on the pitcher's mound. And this kid comes up to bat that's a pretty good hitter. And my father shouts at me and says, favor the third base side. He's going to hit it there. And I looked over and my dad has my attention and he says, favor the, le- the third base. And while I'm looking at my father, he hits the ball and it goes right past me. And I said, if you wasn't such a distraction to me, I'd have caught the ball. <laughs> so at that moment, my father was going to deliver a message. I'm not kidding. This is not a preacher story. This really happened. (laughs) My father came out on the field. He called timeout, but not the timeout y'all thinking about. He said timeout because I'm about to send a message. He came on the pitcher's mound and wore my rear end out. And if anybody else would have wanted some, he'd have given them some too. I'm talking about in front of both teams, all the parents sitting in the little stands, you know, can you imagine this? And if DSS would have showed up, he'd have probably given them one too. I'm just telling you, he was handing them out. But I had a father that knew how to get your attention. He knew how to deliver a message. You with me? You say, what kind of father would do something like that? I'll tell you, a good one. Because good fathers discipline their children. And good fathers know how to get their children's attention. And God was about to get their attention because of their willful disobedience. Notice a couple of things about this discipline. Number one, notice the method of his discipline. He's going to deliver this message and he does it this way. Look at verse 27. Therefore thou delivered them into the hand of their enemies who vexed them. Look at verse 28. But after they had rest, they did evil again before thee, therefore left them in the hand of their enemies. Verse 30. Yet many years did thou forbear them and testified against them by thy spirit and the prophets, yet would they not give ear, therefore gavest thou into the the hand of the people of the lands. Listen, they knew they had disobeyed the Lord and God would allow them to be subservient to another nation. 
He is sending a message to his children. There's the method of his discipline, but notice the merit of his discipline. Look at verse 33. Here's what they said. Howbeit, thou art just in all that is brought upon us. Here's what they said. God, you've brought great discipline to us. And you're completely just in every bit of it. One of the greatest evidence that confession is real is when a sinner acknowledges that the discipline that he has received is deserved. Let me say that again. One of the greatest evidences that confession is real is when a sinner acknowledges that the discipline he receives is deserved. And the Israelites certainly deserved the discipline that they were getting because God had shown them great kindness great goodness and great mercy, and they responded in great wickedness and found themselves in great distress. They know that they are reaping what they have sown. Today, those that are in authority over us, there are times they have to discipline us. And often when we find ourselves in wickedness, we try to justify it somehow. Heaven help a teacher or a principal have to discipline a kid today. Because it's the teacher's fault now. It's the one who is in charge. It's their fault now. And if we would discipline them at the house, we'd make it a whole lot easier for these first responders. We'd make it a whole lot easier for our teachers and our principals if we knew how to deliver a message at the house. They knew they had transgressed God. And here's what, here's what they knew. Listen to this. They knew he was just in his discipline. He was right. He was right. Don't blame God for your difficulties when you lived in open and unconfessed rebellion to him. Because he's just in his judgments. Because listen, all of that discipline is why? Because he loves you and you're one of his children. They rebelled against the mandates of God. They received the message from God. And then finally, they remembered the mercies of God. Keep your Bible handy. Could we all agree this morning that even though we got on our coats and ties and our khakis and our shirts and we look good on a Sunday morning, could we all just agree this morning that even since we've been saved, from the preacher to the pulpits, or from the pulpit to the pew, that even since we've been saved, we've committed some sins that would transgress what God has commanded us to do. Can we just all agree that from the pulpit to the pew, none of us have arrived? Because when we get honest about that, we can begin to receive the forgiveness and experience the mercy that we need. You see, we've all transgressed God's, transgressed God's mandates. But I want you to hear me loud and clear this morning. Mercy is available. And mercy is when you don't get what it is you deserve. One more quick one. I was 12 years old. My brother was 15. He had just gotten a car. 
And he was off with some friends one day and I was at the house. And I found the keys to his car. And I thought, this little Mercury Cougar needs, needs a little, I don't know what it was. It was something like that, a little Mercury something. I thought, I'm going Well, my best friend at the time, a guy named Brian, he gets in the passenger seat. I'm in the driver's seat. I can barely see over the... Man, we ride, riding around the neighborhood. Well, we come around the corner and I saw a car parked out in front of my house. At the time, our house was for sale and it was a realtor that had pulled up out in front of our house. And I thought, oh man, I better get to the house. I whipped it on down there. I pulled in the driveway and I come over. We had a little pad to the left and that's where the car was. And I was going to put the car right back where it was, right? So I pulled up, got it parked, put that little mercury up in park. And out of the periphery of my right eye, I saw a car pull up right beside me. And I looked over and it was my dad. My best friend, Brian, got out of the car and ran home. <laughs> Here's what my dad said. Go in your room. I'll be there in a minute. If you had a father like mine, you know what that means. It's coming. And you're sitting there, man. Trying to, I mean, there wasn't no negotiating at my house. My father opened my door. I'll never forget it. He opened my door and he said, son, you have no idea what could have just happened. It could have been real bad for you. And it could have been real bad for us. And you deserve what you got coming. But I think you've learned your lesson. And he turned around and he walked out the door. Mercy. Because I deserved what was coming to me. But he gave mercy and forgiveness. We've transgressed God's commandment even since we've been saved, y'all. And we so need his mercy but we so deserve his judgment. But can I show you a few things about his mercy? Notice this real quick. He's this, the manifold mercy that's available. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. Child of God, if the, if the devil is wearing you out about something you've done in your past, I want you to listen to where God is right now. Listen to this in the last part of verse 17. It says, they refuse to obey. Mindful of thy wonders that thou did among them, but harden their necks, and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But watch this next phrase. But thou art a God ready to what? Look at these next few words. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and you forsook them not. He won't forsake you either. <laughs> I could go through the rest of this chapter and over and over and over, you're gonna find this, you're gonna find this phrase that says, 
manifold mercy, manifold mercy, manifold mercy, manifold mercy. That means it is multi-layered and it is multicolored. You need to experience his mercy today. It is available. There's the manifold mercy, but then there's the measure of mercy that is available. Lamentations chapter three, Jeremiah wrote it. And he said this, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every single morning. Great is thy faithfulness. His mercy is available. The invitation is very simple this morning. It could be that the Lord has burdened your heart for someone you dearly love, someone that is near and dear to you, and they are living in willful disobedience. And God's put their name heavy on your heart this morning. I can't think of a better thing that you could do for them than to fall into an altar and intercede with an almighty God on their behalf that he show them mercy. Certainly we all have someone that God's put on our heart that is, has stepped out and they're, and they're living in willful disobedience. And what better thing could we do than to call their name out before a holy God? So in just a moment, we're gonna have an invitation. We're gonna sing, great is thy faithfulness. Maybe that you need to come and lift up the name of that person and ask God to be merciful to them. It could be that God's put his finger right on something in your own life. Boy, he is making you aware of your transgression even now. And he says to you, I love you. And I paid the price for that. Listen, we don't ask for forgiveness of our sins because we're no longer sons. When you got saved, your past sin, your present sin, and your future sin were all forgiven. You became a son. You became a child of God. So then why do we ask for forgiveness? And why do we confess sin? Not so we can have our sonship again, but so that we might have fellowship with the Father. You see, it's that sin that hinders our fellowship. And as a child of God, you should desire to have sweet fellowship with Him. What is it in your own life that God's put his finger on that you need to deal with? You know you, you, you know you have transgressed. And today's the day to get it right. As we stand to our feet all over this auditorium, if you're unsaved, God's dealing with you about your eternity. You don't know where you're gonna spend eternity. I'd ask you to come, put your hand in one of these pastors. We would love an opportunity to share with you how you can come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe you want to find a spot in an altar and lift up the name of a friend, a loved one that's walking in disobedience and plead God for mercy on their behalf. Maybe he's put it on you. He's put his finger right on what it is in your own life and you need to deal with it today. Now's the time. You're amongst people that love you and you're amongst people that don't have it all figured out but desire to walk in fellowship with, Lord, with the Lord. Heavenly Father, move in the hearts of your people during this invitation time. In Jesus' name. Amen. You come.
Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.